Do you think about making dynasty trades even while watching football games? Are you thinking of player values when you should be thinking of family values? Then you may have a trading problem. Don't worry, you're not alone. I am Dynasty Outhouse and I have a trading problem. And I'm Brian Haar and I also have a trading problem. Join us for the Trade Addicts podcast where you can be with like-minded people and talk about everything in the NFL in the context of dynasty trade values. News and notes, make amends, keep trade buys, all these things we will cover every week. And don't forget Trade Addicts trades. So when you're done listening to this fine DLF family podcast, please tune into the Trade Addicts podcast. Thank you and enjoy your podcast. So we grind football and the grind grinds back. That's the phrase that keeps coming back to me. Uh, tonight as I try and record another solo podcast because few people can record as early in the morning as I have to do these to get them out on Saturday with my current schedule the way it is. To complain about my life like I really try and just, this isn't my place for life, this is a place for fun and fantasy football but especially tonight like car breaks down, grab a toothache just for fun on the way home and it kept, it keeps coming back to me and back to me like we grind and the grind grinds back. And I think in some of my attempts and some of our attempts during this phase to be open to ideas and to improve our process and improve from last year, as we always try and do, the grind has started to grind us um, more uh, than I've been able to push back on it. What do I mean by that? I think, at least for me, when I, I, I made my my first run of trying to create ranks for all four positions. I was looking at him and I was talking about it with Zach Reed, actually, um, who was on last week's episode, and I couldn't help but be a little sickened by them. <laughs> they, were way, they were too reasonable, and it's not like I don't want to place, produce good ranks. Obviously, I want to produce good ranks, but pre-draft ranks mean nothing anyway, and, and ranks in general mean nothing. I think they should be trying to do something. This is a problem I have with DLF... Um, doing my ranks uh, several times a month to keep up with the schedule. Um, I'm meant to produce reasonable ranks, help draft in one way or the other, but I've always tried to have a, uh, an idea about my ranks. Like the bottom 10 players were always just random players that shouldn't really be in the top 150 in a Superflex draft, but like I want to highlight these guys down below. Like I just want this section to be, hey, don't forget these guys as the rounds go by. And I put that in the notes and hopefully people read the notes. But keep getting in trouble for not having Daniel Jones in the top 150 or something like that. And like, if you're drafting by ranks, like don't. <laughs> um, and so I want to do more with them. And especially with rookie ranks, I've always tried to have at least some wild in there. Reasonable and understanding the limits and, and, and logically and um, with uncertainty, admitting to the, the failures and the successes of a process is really valuable. I, I really hope it has value, at least, and I'm trying to put it out there. But the funnest fantasy football, for me at least, the fun part I've always had about engaging this community, what really got me hooked on it, besides the weekly uh, scoring and keeping track of the data and, the, and all the nerdy stuff, and the fun of uh, having an extra layer to watching a sport, So I do love watching sports, believe it or not, um, was being able to stand on a hill and either get a big success or a big failure and just own it, you know, just own it. And you've grounded it, you've worked hard as you can, you understand what the bed is, but you are going big or you, you're going home, <laughs> literally, um, as cliche as that might be. It's, it's, it's the fun of it. It's a, it's a heartbeat 
intensifier of the season for me of whether Kendrick Bourne is actually still going to keep maybe having a role, whether Adam Thielen is really going to push his way onto this depth chart, whether Stefan Diggs and T.Y. Hilton, everyone now thinks is an obvious success, but I was actually playing during those years. This isn't all theory. This is it within the period I'm, re- and I remember being actively nervous. I might not get them at this decent value despite loving their profile. And, you know, all through the wide receiver dip from 2014 to 2018, like really nervous that my takes, my cert- uncertainty period takes weren't going to work and Kevin White was going to hit and Laquan Treble was going to own me. But if they did, that would have been great, a great experience too. Like getting it wrong. And I've had people laugh at me for this. It's almost as good because it's it's it feels like a big risk because I put so much into it, but it risks nothing. It's fantasy football. If I get it wrong, it's okay. I'm not grinding to improve my hit rate so I can post some silly little thing on Twitter and say I'm better than you. That's the least fun part about our community, personally. Like, I, I, you got this call wrong, I got that call wrong. It's part of the fun, but it's not that tiny little hit rate area the little pedantic part which encourages you to let the grind grind back and maybe push you back where from where you want to be because you don't want to get one wrong you don't want to lose that hit rate you've got you don't want to lose those followers that you've developed or lose that kudos that you may have rightly earned through getting something right i mean it's fantasy football and the minute I think I start valuing that part of it too much is the minute it's not fun anymore because the fun of it is risking it all which is actually nothing because it's just fantasy football it's a fun little game I try and play with my friends and people I enjoy and anyone else who let me be part of the conversation I really appreciate it that's the fun my life is about caution and being a father and being a responsible employee and I like everyone else in the world, you can't, you know, gamble your house for the hell of it because it, you, you, you've got responsibilities and people that depend on you. But in fantasy football, it's like, yeah, throw my dynasty team on the fire. I'm going in on Adam Thielen. Let's go. Or I'm going in on Antonio Brown in his final season because Calvin Johnson worked out all right. And then he sets your team on fire and it's horrible. And you've got to think about rebuilding and people own you on Twitter. But that height of emotion without actually losing anything not as fun fun isn't the word winning is fun but it's just as evoking it's just as much as part of the fantasy experience that i enjoy perhaps that's a better way of saying it so i try when making content to be do the reasonable grown-up human being thing obviously like i'm not trying to lead everyone into a bonfire because i find that enjoyable in some way as well but for Twitter podcasts, when I'm arguing with people, I want to be able to do that. And so I have to divide my time between trying to show what we can and can't do to, so that you can know when you're making a large bet and when you're not, and also being able to do it myself. And so that's what this long rambling introduction is about. I'm grinding and I'm trying to put content out there to add to the community with my grind, but the grind is grinding right back at me. And if I just stay in that that mode, it's it's gonna win. It, I, I'm um, I'm being eroded more than I'm eroding the problems of evaluating prospects. So that's what I'm doing. That's what today's about. Today's about grinding back. It's it's time. Uh, and for the small little bell that I ring, that maybe only I hear, I'm signaling it. It's it's time, guys. It's time we switch it up and just 
make our bets. I mean, we can change them. You can change them at any time. It's fantasy football. Let let them, quote, treat you with the thing that you said two weeks ago. Guess what? I updated information, and now I have a different opinion. That's that's perfectly reasonable, and I'm not running for office, so it's not really a problem if you call me a name over it, and it's Twitter, so you really can't hurt my feelings. So as long as I at least announce I fail... Like, that's what I'm doing. I'm narrativizing. I'm going to use what I've learned and try and go big or go home. I think it's fair to start doing that on the podcasts and YouTube videos and the interviews I'm doing a little bit. Not all the time, <laughs> but I want to be able to still have that part of the fun of fantasy football for me. So, that's what tonight's about. I keep saying it and not doing it. Tonight's about Jalen Ragor and how the ceiling of this class, the fun of this class, in my opinion, at least from in my small bubble, feels like it's been ground enough. It has been grinded. It has been ground out of this class. To the point where Je- Justin Jefferson, who I really like as a prospect, like I'm really high on him. Don't get me wrong, he's third in my pre-draft model, and I think he will stay there even if the post-draft model drops him down, no matter what, because I really like his profile. This is not an anti-Justin Jefferson thing. But, like, that's not the profile with high rookie value that I'm really excited to draft. That's not the go big or go home profile. For me, it, I mean, it can be. If it's in the third, fourth round and everyone likes Henry Ruggs over him, I'm like, yay, Justin Jefferson. It's a Michael Gallup type thing. Great value. That's going to feel like a win. But if we're talking first, second round draft capital, we're not. It's a different thing. And trying to go big, go home. And the type of players that end up being those huge wins are the ones very late or off the way for a while that I'm really interested in. You know, third, fourth round picks. Or it's taking that big swipe on the type of profile that looks, that's very common to the winners, the dynasty assets that everyone goes, ah, I saw them coming and look at my hit rate and gets back to that boring section. And the profiles look, and I'm sorry, I coming off the 2019 classes, perhaps why I'm feeling like this or why I feel like I, at least, if not uh, the people around me, more me, have been willing to let the grind grind me back a little bit too much. Because coming off the 2019 class, it feels like I need to, like, oh no, the world is tilted when you're being reasonable and looking at what happened in 2019, who I like more, who I like less, none of them hit, and the ones that I kind of liked hit, and the ones that I didn't like hit, <laughs> and it feels bad, and I forget that 2018 happened, and they all actually broke out last year, not just had good rookie seasons, like the 2019 class, so maybe they'll continue it, I forget that I spent all off season, every time it was mentioned, saying their college profiles say that the backup wide receivers on Green Bay will not be made great into great wide receivers by Aaron Rodgers. They, they won't be. I would rather take a swing on Jamon Moore than any of the others because I don't have to pay anything for him. And you know, after all of them worked out to about equal value to Jamon, Jamon Moore, I feel kind of justified in that. They're all kind of similar players in terms of production from college. I caught a little heat from that, but most people ignore me, continue to take all the swings on the Green Bay wide receivers. And can we just for a second, Jacob Rickroad, hope you're listening, admit that quarterbacks don't make good wide receivers. And don't give me that reasonable... It helps, surely. Yeah, 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 man. Yeah, having Drew Brees helps. But and can we give Aaron Rodgers uh, all the credit he deserves from taking two of the best college-producing wide receivers to come into the NFL since 2003 and, and making them good and then not making the players that weren't that in college into also not that in the NFL? 
Like, where's the effect of Aaron Rodgers when you're looking at the level of production from wide receivers from Green Bay? Oh, wait, he takes a tight end who's a perennial Hall of Famer in terms of production before he gets there, and now everyone's back to the tight end is uh, quarterback and team dependent, and the team just doesn't like to target tight end. Thank you, Aaron Rodgers. Yes, a tight end's a little more quarterback dependent than wide receiver. I honestly think that. But Seahawks... The year before proved my broader narrative from further back that team targeting the tight end doesn't matter if the tight end is good because the tight end draws attention. But it is more quarterback dependent. You need that impetus or that willingness to target him. So thanks Aaron Rodgers for, you know, hurting Jimmy Graham's final few years. I mean, that's the effect he's had in his receivers. He didn't make substandard or average wide receivers in college great. He made two of the best college producers to come into the NFL since at least 2007 or so. You know, Demarius Thomas, Calvin Johnson, those guys stand above Jordy Nelson and Randall Cobb. But those two wide receivers were amazing in college. And they get to Green Bay, and they're amazing in Green Bay. And that's Aaron Rodgers. And then these average wide receivers get to Green Bay, and they're average in the NFL. But that's not Aaron Rodgers. That's these players just suck. Quarterbacks don't make great wide receivers. Great wide receivers make great wide receivers. I'm sorry, Matthew Stafford was not the reason Calvin Johnson was great. He's not. Same with Demarius Thomas and Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning, you can't get a better fantasy or a better quarterback, frankly. Let's just say it. Um, in the NFL than Peyton Manning. And Demarius Thomas was not a creation of Peyton Manning. Did it help? Sure, but the reason he's not just good and with Peyton Manning is because Demarius Thomas was great. How about Emmanuel Sanders? Also, an amazing college player with incredible levels of production in his situation compared to his other teammates. Gets Peyton Manning, he's good. It's not Peyton Manning. (laughs) Peyton Manning has substandard wide receivers. You throw in a Cody Latimer, and Cody Latimer is slightly better than he was in college because he's got Peyton Manning, but it doesn't make him even average for the NFL, or fantasy average, at least, because he's Cody Lattimore. It it doesn't matter. (laughs) You can't elevate a wide receiver that high. We've gone off a bit here. I'm not talking about the 2020 class very much. But it gets to me, man, because they, they, (laughs) as if there's an enemy out there, and there isn't. I grind myself down with my misses by trying to be reasonable and improve my process so much that I forget how much it has helped outside of prospect evaluation or the continued expectation of players in their NFL career. And I always get asked, isn't it a bit too far into their career to value their college production? And yes, because NFL production is more important. But we're often looking at NFL production, expecting it to increase or hoping that it increases, looking at Equiminius St. Brown and going, maybe. But if his college profile is low and he hasn't quite shown much in in the NFL yet, and we're expecting an upward curve, that's where it can still help. It's like, no, he's also limited by the type of player he is in a neutral situation. Yes, he has Peyton Manning or Aaron Rodgers, or if he, if they do, that's good, but they're not going to make them go big or go home players. They're not, they're not going to make your season. I'm sorry, they're not. And every now and again, yeah, you get Michael Thomas, you get a Tyreek Hill who we knew nothing about, and that's why we couldn't predict him into the NFL. Someone was saying, well, you'll never get Tyreek Hill. Everyone got Tyreek Hill. Anyone paying any attention got Tyreek Hill. Free athletic freak at the end of your draft or on the waiver wire. Anyone paying attention got some Tyreek Hill. No one was watching the tape saying Tyreek Hill is going to be the wide receiver one like they were with Nicole Hardman. How's that working out? Last year, because no one cared about Tyreek Hill because he barely played. A few... 
there's always someone that notices them and I knew them in high school and they were great. Sure, th- those guys. But there was no tape versus analytics and Tyreek Hill. Barely anyone talked about him. Only people paying attention to the analytics or the tape to see the, see the, see the speed, see the skills on the field that could develop. Knew about him at all. So it was relatively easy to get Tyreek Hill, whether you like production or not. That's not the players that we're talking about. I'll take uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones or Chase Claypool if they fall to me late, because I'll take free athleticism with upside, sure. Those aren't the players we're talking about. It's it's talking about whether you take um, Terry McClellan as a win uh, versus um, things. Andy Isabella, and congratulations, Terry McClellan win, but it doesn't mean that I get... I, I have to I have to force myself to forget the times that it wins with the Green Bay wide receivers, with every production star that's currently in the top 24. And then the top 24 are your rankings outside of Michael Thomas. And if you're crazy enough to have Terry McLaurin in there, and those are the only two players for the last 20 years that would meet standards of a great college profile to be one of those kind of dynasty assets outside of someone that didn't play enough, like a Tyreek Hill or Julian Edelman because he played quarterback. Like, the great assets in dynasty and fantasy football don't have those profiles that we're arguing for in the third round and trying to be reasonable and understand, yeah, okay, competition level. Okay, we'll adjust, we'll adjust, we'll adjust. So it's time to get back to it. Jalen Regor is the ceiling player of this class. I love C.D. Lamb. Don't get me wrong, he's a clear wide receiver one in this class, but if I'm going to make a ranking based on going big or go home, honestly, the way to do it is put Jalen Rager one. And the noise around it being reasonable, frankly, is the NFL not talking about him. No one caring about the fact that he won the combine. I'm sorry, and that's why I was bringing up Justin Jefferson earlier, I remember now. Like, Justin Jefferson's getting this huge bump from the combine, and he did fantastic, and I love Justin Jefferson. It's on the record, I love him. But... In everything that matters, everything actually, just everything, outside of like height and 0.04 on his 40 time, 0.04, not 0.4, 0.04 on his combine time, Jalen Ragor dusted Justin Jefferson. But Justin Jefferson won the combine because the narrative around Jalen Ragor right now is concerning because people aren't pointing it out. No one's pointing out this is a guy that inc- just destroyed the combine. And a 4.47 is amazing. You know how excited we would have been if we got a 4.47 out of Kenny Galladay? Did we? I forget. I really don't pay attention to the combine. But Justin Jefferson's getting this huge bump from it. And he's not from my model. I'm not valuing the combine in my model. but And he's still coming out third because he's a good prospect. But if your if your love of Justin Jefferson increased because, oh, he's also athletic. Well, Jalen Rager's more athletic. And people are coming down and disappointed with his combine. We should be all in on the ceiling of this class being Jalen Rager, the hidden ceiling. Ceiling Lamb's going one. Great. But if you want the ceiling that is a value, that's a go big and go home player in this class, it's Jalen Rager. From what we can see, and yes, some of these players that I like, lower value, probably in our rookie jazz as we can see right now, like Antonio Gandhi, love him. A whole bunch of players I love in this class that could end up being those guys. I'm going to want all of them. But from what we can see of who was good in college and who was better than everyone else in college, Jalen Rager is a clear hidden, slash not hidden because everyone knows who he is, but the, there's less excitement because the ground has grounded out of us from 2019. Jalen is it. You want ceiling? You want to go big or go home with your one rookie pick in the top eight and you miss the running backs and you're looking for a wide receiver? CeeDee Lamb is the option. <laughs> 
But let's say ZD Lamb's gone. Go big, go home, you go Jalen Ragle. And you should be excited about that. And frankly, I feel like the excitement of it has been ground out of me. And maybe that's just me. This is a personal thing. So I should not put it on everyone else. But just in case you out there are also starting to feel a little bit wide receiver 2-ish about this class, Jalen Ragle has all the upside of any prospects who come into the NFL. So let's just go back to basics, shall we? Instead of me grinding what numbers can and can't do on YouTube videos. Wide receivers who break out with a 20% dominator threshold at the age of 18, drafted in the first round, hit at a 66% clip. 66% of wide receivers who fit that description in the first round have hit for at least one top 24 season. And that's consistent no matter what level of production you're looking at. Eight Players who have an 18 breakout age at a 20% threshold are always more likely within the same round to break out than anyone else. But we've also moved to a 30% threshold, and for most of us has anyway, and Jalen Ragor and Brian Edwards are the only two to hold an age 18 breakout age. Another player that the, the, the upside, the ceiling of, has been ground out by our disappointment in last year's class or a disappointment in our hot, my, my disappointment in our hot takes that I had from last year's class or my, my guys from last year's class. The only two players to have done it, and they hit the highest likely threshold, looking at one of the most predictive, almost descriptive of successful wide receivers in the NFL stat that I've ever found. So let's increase the threshold to 30% there. Jalen Rego has a 19-age breakout age. So how do they hit? 57% of wide receivers drafted in the second round hit in the NFL with an age 19 breakout age with a 30% threshold. Similar in the first round. They are incredibly likely to hit with that level of threshold. Now, he doesn't get the age 18 breakout age, but he still gets an age 19 breakout age. And I think unless this grind also affects the NFL more than I really think it will, Jalen Murga should go in the first two rounds. He's incredibly likely to hit in the NFL. So now you look at the type of profiles that hit and stay consistent, consistently high in the NFL. And from Odo Beckham, who, yes, you might be down on, all the way up to Michael... Thomas, nope, Michael Thomas is the exception, all the way up to Julio Jones. Players with 19-age breakout age with Jalen Rager-level ceiling production are the ones that end up being those coveted dynasty assets, okay? They just are. He runs a 4.47 with a 29 BMI. Boy is thick, boy is fast, boy is going to get down the field and make plays before he has to develop his NHP route tree more than others. And yeah, I'm talking about routes a little bit. Because that's the ceiling of wide receivers in their rookie season. They have to be able to do something before they've elevated all the things they have to learn in their first season well enough that their team can utilize them as a rookie. That's why someone like Terry McClellan hits a little earlier, because he's being used in a role that he doesn't have to learn too much about. He has to learn a lot more about NFL cornerbacks, he has to learn a lot more about the position to compete in the NFL, to get into year two and year three and continue that breakout. But the skills he used to be productive in his first year in the NFL are skills that translate a little bit easier. The guy knows how to run fast, he knows how to outmaneuver someone, he knows how to catch a football in a difficult situation. Jalen Rager has that. So we can have some expectations for him in his rookie year. And as far as ceiling expectations, again, any rookie wide receiver you want to mention that you like in your top 12 outside of Michael Thomas has a production profile that looks a lot more like Jalen Ragor than anyone else in this class outside of C.D. Lamb because we already all know about C.D. Lamb. 
So it's not that having Jalen Rager at two is unusual. I think he's going to end up there for a lot of people. But he's also going to end up lower because there's a significant reasonable noise and concern about what he knows and if he can elevate and everything that I've been talking about. But if you want one of those assets that's not C.D. Lamb, make no mistake about it. The only prospect I can put in that category that could end up there, apart from ones that have the potential, ones that look like they would be if they hit, it's Jalen Rager. There is no other player with that type of profile outside of C.D. Lamb. So it's not just Jalen Rager at two, or Jalen Rager in the first three, or Jalen Rager if you can't get your favorite Justin Jefferson, who went in the first round unexpectedly. It's Jalen Rager for the win. It's Jalen Rager for the ceiling of your 2020 value in Dynasty Leagues. And yeah, uh, that includes Jerry Judy. Jerry Judy has a good profile, and I've elevated it. He's clearly a top three wide receiver in this class. Um, I'm going to have no bones about drafting Jerry Judy. But it still has more question marks on it. It's still harder to compare it to those dynasty assets that we really covet, especially if we get them at a slight discount compared to the wide receiver one, as will happen with Jalen Rago if he hits. The other two prospects in this class that I really think the hope has been drained out for are Tyler Johnson and Brian Edwards, and they're going to have their own damn episode because it is time we put the ceiling back in this class. There are lots of good players that look really good, that have upside, and maybe have more upside that we can see just based on the college tape and the college production or whatever grind you happen to grind. Yes, that's going to happen. We hope, because we're hoping for at least three per draft class, get at least top one top 24 season. That's about the average. But we're also hoping for something that is even less typical from any draft class. We're hoping for one of those dynasties that has, a, that has a, the potential to swing our dynasty life, even if our team's good, to take us from good to great, to take us from winning to a dynasty, to take us from a team that is competitive to having someone on your roster that people want to throw everything at to get on their roster if you're just thinking about value the only other player outside of cd lamb at the wide receiver position that has that clear potential based on what he did in college is jalen rager or however you say his name sorry jalen rager really didn't practice that So, am I excited about the other prospects in this class? Hell yes. I'm really excited about a bunch of these prospects, as I am every year. But I feel like some of the hopeful potential that there's going to be an asset at the wide receiver position that can really make an effect, like DJ Moore and how excited about him I was, and Christian Kirk, who hasn't quite got there yet, but has been really impressive and positive in the NFL so far, and might just be one of those year three breakouts. It happens almost as often as year two breakouts, but not quite as often. Yeah, there's C.D. Lamb, but there's also Jalen Rager. It's the only other profile in this class that looks close to being worth that kind of excitement. And the NFL isn't as excited about it, and you should know that, and you should be concerned about that. And we should watch for his draft capital and his landing spot and everything else. But do it with the note in your head that if you're looking for that huge win at the wide receiver's position in this class from what we can see no matter how much everyone wants to adjust everyone else without any adjusting (laughs) just what they did in college the player that looks like he belongs in that tier if he turns out to be as good as his profile is and that's a question for every wide receiver is Jalen Rager C.D. Lamb Jalen Rager and I want to put Jalen Rager above because I want my ranks to do something different than give the reasonable 
sensible take that everyone, frankly, should have, which is CeeDee Lamb at one. I'm tired of looking at my ranks. I'm tired of looking at my ranks and think, yeah, that's just just about what everyone should have. And the reason I'm doing it is because so often I see that that's not what everyone does. But I really think they accurately reflect what we should expect in terms of likelihood and potential. But I'm kind of done with likelihood now if it's not clear. Or right this moment, for this second, can I take a moment to be done with likely and think big thoughts and dream big dreams and do all the all the other Mary Poppins stuff <laughs> um, for these wide receivers. Well, I just did, so I guess I don't need your position. Don't have to like Jalen Regard. You shouldn't if you don't. You should take your own opinion. That's where it's fun. And I guess that's the overall theme of my Jalen Regard episode here. It's don't be afraid to go big. Let's get reasonable. Let's understand where what our bets are, and then pick the guy you're going to pick. And for for a lot of people, and that's what mystifies me about someone like Henry Ruggs. Like, I'm not on the train, but I'm not stupid, so I'm not going to miss, because there's too much noise and two people are too much too good at this for me to be the only one who's right, right? So I'm not stupid. I'm not going to have them nowhere if everything they say is going to come true about Henry Ruggs. I want to expose you. That's just the boring reasonableness that we play with Dynasty Leagues. But I don't get why Henry Ruggs has been so locked in so early with so little on his profile that really backs it up. Because that's my process. I'm looking for the wide receiver that if they hit, like, man, that looks like one of the one of the greats. And if he hits, Jalen Rager's profile will look very at home in that range. Henry Ruggs won't. And if it does, yay, we found we found an unusual thing like a Michael Thomas. And that's great. And we all want the ceiling player. But from this perspective, from outside the draft, from outside their first season, from outside their sophomore season, there's nothing predictive that really suggests that anyone else has that potential. You should still go with what you what you value, what your fastball is, to put it in Zach Reed's terms. And if that's Henry Ruggs, great. Do it. But for me, it's Jalen Regal. So in the first round of rookie drafts, he's the guy I want after C.D. Lamb. <laughs> Pretty much no matter what happens in the draft. Because part of the fun of going big or going home is saying, you know what? NFL got it wrong too. That's something I've lost from my process. It, the fun of some of those hits was the NFL got it wrong too. The NFL should have valued them more. It's okay to say that. You're not saying I'm better or they don't deserve their jobs, although maybe they don't. <laughs> it's okay to go big or go home and say, you know what, I'm betting against million-dollar industrial complex designed to hit at a higher rate. Because, frankly, that should be expected. They're not looking for what you're looking for. They're not looking necessarily for the next Antonio Brown. They're not looking for the next Julio Jones, to put a better face on it. <laughs> they're not looking for prime career Larry Fitzgerald necessarily. They're looking for different things, and that's why the hit rate between round three and seven tanks. It's not because good players don't get drafted there. It's because the expectations of players in that range are for them to be role players or special team players or camp bodies or something else that the NFL has a lot of reason to value that we don't. They're not looking for what we're looking for. Don't be fooled into thinking they are. So if Jalen Regal slips, and Tyler Johnson will slip, and Brian Edwards could slip, don't be afraid to go big or go home and say, this is a player the NFL might not understand the ceiling potential of. you got to pick your guys. 
get reasonable, understand the bet, then pick the guy that you think has the upside, that one that you want to be excited to. And while the grind should grind you back a little bit, it shouldn't be an easy street. It should be a two-way street. You've got to get reasonable. You've got to listen to other people's opinions. You also have to, at some point, draw a line and say, this is where I'm at. Jalen Rego, wide receiver two. <laughs> Alright guys, thanks for listening to The Crossroad. Hopefully this was interesting. I took it slightly different way than I usually do. I think that's very clear. But I'm really trying to manually shift myself into this gear. To have that other fun with fantasy football. Because I think other people have that fun with me or at me, right? If I don't take a stand somewhere, how are you going to know to tell me when I was terrible? And I've got, I've got to get back into that gear sometime, so... This is the first episode. I'm hoping to do more episodes on one player at a time. Um, I'm hoping to get more guests on here if I ever have reasonable hours. Um, and I hope you're enjoying it. Let me know if it works. Let me know if it doesn't. I, I, I can change it. I'll try. I'll try my best. As long as I can make it fun for myself, then I will do it. Uh, no question. I'll even do the boring stuff for me uh, the rest of the time. But some stuff, sometimes I just want to, like say, have the fun of fantasy football. Hope it was fun for you guys too. Thanks for checking us out. We're on Twitter at Dynasty Crossroads. We're a DLF family podcast. All that fun stuff. Um, I have a YouTube channel where you know I'm, I'm posting some of that reasonable stuff about what numbers can and can't do. So please check us out there as well if you could. Oh, um, administrative news. I was going to start off with this because I feel like maybe I should mention this every three or four words from now on for the rest of my life. But I ticked something off the bucket list and I actually got on um, JJ Zacharyson's, I think it's going to be the late round podcast. He asked if he had time and I was like, yes, I will quit my job to make that time. Um, Didn't have to though, because he turns out, if you're interested, like he is as awesome, knowledgeable, and just as um, wonderful to talk to as you imagine when you listen to his podcast. Like it seriously, it was a bucket list item for me. It came out of the blue. Um, I, I'm still a little overwhelmed by the fact it has happened, um, and it was amazing. He's great. Um, he said he, that will be coming out next week, Monday onwards at some time, so check out the late round feed for that one. Um, I was on a podcast with JJ Zacharyson, so like uh, life goals met. I may log off for a while, just as a warning, I need to recover a little bit. Like, <laughs> Not the name drop, but I'm name dropping at that particular event. You know, I've hit my ceiling. I really that I really hit my ceiling at this point, and uh, I'm I'm loving it. I'm enjoying the view. <laughs> so uh, check out uh, the late round podcast if you haven't. You should be anyway. So uh, so all right. Um, flexed did an episode. I'm out of here. Thanks again for checking out the crossroads, and I will talk to you again next week. Bye. Yeah. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so. Jake on the table and they on the place, though. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got different lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight back and forth. There is no order, they disorder more and more because the players ain't no older. They some hoarders or some mortars, dropping bombs without no borders. They got that eye, eye like mortar, peak grinding numbers like molars. I don't know anymore, I am at a crossroads. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road. 
go Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, no Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, no Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical Don't pretend you didn't know I couldn't leave it there. <clears throat> I can't do an episode that's all narrative. and I, I've got to put in the context here. There were flaws on Jalen Reagan's profile. Admit it. He had a 1.4 yards per team pass attempt above his team average. That's an efficiency score I've recently created, much like you know yards per carry above um, teammates that people use for running backs. I was interested in looking at yards per team pass attempt in a different way. 1.4 is good. It has a really solid, if we do the breakout age calculation on it, like people that average between or players that average between like 1.3 and 1.5 yards above uh, yards per team pass attempt um, hit at about a 33% rate if they also have an age 19 breakout age with a 30% threshold. 33% is really solid, but the more efficient a player is in that metric, the higher the hit rate gets. Also, the smaller the category. I haven't fully studied it, but his efficiency is a little low. Um, I like looking at the average that way. Um, I really thought that would kind of help out Jalen Rager's profile because the real criticize criticism of it in terms of production is that last year dip and you've got players like Chris Godwin and a whole bunch of other great players who also experienced a last year dip which is why that isn't so concerning but it was enough and we really can't excuse his last year by six QBs like you'll see us you'll see us narrativize that last season and if you catch any nerd like me doing that, you need to point out that you can't apply two different rules. You can't say that his production is good because it's adjusting for team competition. And then apart from here, where it doesn't make sense. He, he was worse in his last season. and It's actually extremely worrying. In his last season, he had below average market share of yards for a wide receiver one in the Big 12. And also his average because of that last season comes in as below expectation for his conference. So... Just a little bit, just slightly. So all of those are concerning marks in his profile. C.D. Lamb, for example, averaged 1.7 yards per team pass attempt above team average, which is an incredible score. Like um, only 28 wide receivers I've profiled since 2003, well, between 2003 and 2017, have actually hit that mark, 12% of hit at a 42% rate. With an age 19 breakout age like um, uh, C.D. Lamb has, that has a 41.7% of those players have actually hit in the NFL for at least one top 24 season. Jalen Regos, like I just mentioned, is a little lower than that in the 33% range. So the reasons for valuing C.D. Lamb over him, and there are problems on his profile, and there's also the constant problem of the clean profiles like i like about lamb and jerry um and not jerry judy jerry judy's uh, decent looking and then cd lamb the ones that look good every in that three year 18 to 20 okay they played in the right years and every year looks clean this looks like a great prospect like um plenty of them are good in the nfl not all of them are the greatest like um uh, julio jones who i literally mentioned as an example of this like not every year was like significantly above average or even average compared to 
and players who've had top 24 wide receivers. He had a couple of spectacular years and one that wasn't. I mean, you can go check out the database to see it. Like, perfect is almost worrying sometimes, but like, you've got to bet on something. If you're going to bet on something, I'm going to bet the guy who kind of hit it every year. The other thing about Jalen Rago's profile, and the reason I know I haven't done enough to, like, teach i guess would be the word or you know show the edges of numbers is because so far no one's come back with a really interesting argument i don't think it works but it kind of would really shut a nerd up guys if you do it in my database and you expand a little bit and you look at first year market share of yards or first year dominator rating in fact dominator rating is going to help you out the best so here's three names that we're all arguing about right now C.D. Lamb, Jalen Ragor, and Henry Ruggs, right? And I'm trashing Henry Ruggs and saying Jalen Ragor has all the upside, but C.D. Lamb is clearly the first wide receiver off the board. How do you think they ranked age 18, the all-player to age 18, in their first season in Dominator rating? Jalen Ragor was one with a 22% Dominator rating. Number two was Henry Ruggs with 16%. Boom, I just made a better argument for Henry Ruggs than anyone who actually likes him. Come on, that's content, right? That's got to be content, right? 